welcome to Two Courageous Minds with me, Nancy. And me, Keisha. This is where we have vulnerable and candid conversations about mental health, relationships, and everything in between. So come join us as we help you embrace and navigate life by inspiring you to be mentally courageous. Welcome back to another episode of Two Courageous Minds. I'm Nancy. Unfortunately, Keisha can't join me on today's episode, but I do have a very special guest. No, she is not famous, nor is she a celebrity. She is just my best friend. So welcome, Erica. Hi, everyone. It's so nice to have you on today's episode because we've been talking about this for a very long time. We have uh, definitely weeks if not months. Um, and we talked about how it would be such a good idea to share your experience and your story. And and it's just a way to, I don't want to say document it, but it's a, it's a good platform to share your thoughts and feelings and, and hopefully others can benefit from this as well. Yeah, for sure. For our listeners, just to give you guys a bit of context, Erica and I have been best friends for, I'd say, 15 plus years. We actually met in high school. She sat behind me in gym class. And I guess that's how our friendship actually started. Um, Let's just say we are not old, but we are not young. But I honestly can't remember when we sort of labeled each other as best friends because it's been such a long time. Exactly. Let's just let's just say 15 plus years. Let's not give the exact number of years. Otherwise, people will be able to deduct how old we actually are. (laughs) Yeah, But yeah, we, we met uh, on the first day of high school. It was gym class. And we just started talking. Like, it wasn't forced. It wasn't weird. It wasn't awkward. It was a natural conversation. And I think those are the best kinds of friendships that you can form because never was there a point that I feel like I had to be something else or someone else so that, you know, it's like, oh, hey, yeah, she make a good friend. Like, we never had those kind of feelings. So I think naturally, we just kind of progressed to becoming closer and closer and you know, eventually you just share everything with each other. And now that uh, we are where we are in life, you are very much not just a friend, but a big part of my family too. So that's where our friendship started way back in high school. Yeah, and you're a very big part of my family as well. So that's why I wanted to have you on today's episode, because we're going to be talking about how to support a loved one who's going through a mental health illness As you know, you've been a very big part of my journey, and I've been super lucky to have a really close-knit group of people who've been helping me along the way. For those who haven't gotten a chance to hear about my story, I encourage you to check out our first episode where Keisha and I talk about my experiences with anxiety and TMD. So just going back on the supporter side, I just haven't heard a lot from that end of things. I mean, we hear a lot from people like me who are struggling with their mental health and their experiences, but I think it's equally important that we have that discussion for the supporters because, you know, the supporter side is also going through a journey. As much as they're supporting, you know, their loved one through their story and their process, They're taking on a different journey and we need to provide them with those resources in order for them to be a good supporter for their loved ones. Yeah, absolutely. I I 100% agree to your point about resources being available to supporters. You know, I I can't say that there's absolutely nothing out there. There are a few things. Um, I think what I was really looking for was 
a professional level um, of resources that I could make use of on what I can do or what I can say to help you through your journey. And a lot of the things I found was, you know, we have white papers and, and a few things that are published by universities on what you can do. I did find quite a few things on that are written by those who experienced it themselves and have written blogs or um, post about it. And it's not to say that, you know, those are invalid or you can't, you know, give them credit for it. Absolutely. Those are your real life experiences and those are very much valid. But going back to what I said before, I think I was trying to look for that professional level help on, okay, if there is resources or if there are resources out there for those who are going through a mental illness, what resources are available for those surrounding them? You know, like I think anytime you are a caregiver, they have support and resources for family caregivers. So I think I was looking for something like that. And of course, I Googled it on, you know, oh, what are some things I can say? What are some things I can do? And I just couldn't find exactly what I was looking for. So I think it can be talked about a little bit more. I think we can expand on that more, just like how, you know, mental illness was once a taboo subject. Uh, now we are talking about it more often on, on a daily basis and something that we should recognize. And I think resources can be expanded on both ends. Yeah, for sure. And now that we're in COVID, the mental health discussion is happening a lot more. You know, as you mentioned, mental health used to be a taboo subject. People wouldn't talk about it. They would sort of brush it under the rug and I guess to some degree invalidate those people who do struggle with their mental health. But I'm actually very happy that the discussions are happening and that the conversations are being normalized. Uh, but I'm not going to lie. I mean, growing up in an Asian household, we didn't really talk about mental health. I think for me, mental health at a young age was if someone was struggling with their mental health, they were crazy. And although, you know, when I started my journey, that obviously wasn't the case. I was not crazy, but I felt like my parents invalidated a lot of my emotions and my feelings just because in the early stages of my mental health illness, I was struggling with insomnia and a lot of times my mom would tell me to just sort of sleep it off or don't think about it. But when you're really in that state of mind, it's hard to not think about those things. And I guess the more someone tells you to stop thinking about it, the more you want to think about it. And that's why I resorted to you a lot, Erica, because you were just so level-headed. Instead of telling me to stop doing or feeling what I'm feeling, you allowed me to express what I was feeling and sort of, again, validate, you know, my emotions and my thoughts. And, and so although my parents were great and they were super supportive, they just didn't know how to handle the situation. I mean, I was very lucky in a sense that my parents allowed my brother and I to be very expressive at a young age, which is very non-traditional of a typical Asian household because of the fact that, you know, a lot of Asian parents tell their children to suppress their emotions and, and not feel. But being able to be expressive was, was very helpful. And um, I think for a lot of other households and a lot of the families, that's not always the case. And, and that's why it's so important that we have these discussions and talk about it because mental health is real. It's not it's not some made up thing. It's people are struggling and, and we really need to talk about these experiences as well. 
Absolutely. And I think part of it is that back when our parents were growing up and, and in school, like whether this be in the 50s, 60s or 70s, that was what to your point, what you said, it wasn't something that was talked about. And it's kind of like we talked about this before in Cantonese, there's a saying, you know, if you have a mental illness, you are pushed over to Tingsan, which is like, a, I, I believe, a psychiatric hospital. Yep. So, you know, you were either like, totally fine and normal or you were crazy in which we had to lock you up kind of thing mm -hmm. and so for them I don't think uh, perhaps they had the the resources and education we have now to realize that you know mental illness is very real and it's totally normal I think we all experience some uh, degree or level of it so for just to take for example anxiety like I, I have that too and it's not to take away from your story here but just you know my symptoms may be more mild so it's I think it's so important for us to realize that mental illness, it's not just black or white. It's its not about, you know, being normal or not normal. It's that it's a spectrum and, and we move along the spectrum all the time. And it's totally normal to feel, you know, a certain way one day and to wake up the next morning feeling much better or, or worse than the day before. And those are all completely things that are normal and that we should accept it as it is, you know, especially when society talks about like, oh, you should be like this or you should be like that. Like, no, you are who you are. You feel how you feel. And you don't need to tell, you don't need somebody to tell you like you should not be feeling like that or you should be feeling like this. So it's it's kind of going back to, to go to go back to the point about our parents. I think it's just that they never had to have these conversations with their parents or our grandparents so that they don't really know how to handle a situation like that. They try to, but doesn't always succeed in every way. So I think now that we know what we know, we can have those conversations going now. Yeah, I completely agree. And you did raise a very good point around the spectrum piece because no two individuals go through the same experience. I mean, even though, for example, somebody can be going through anxiety and myself, I have gone through anxiety too, but our experiences might vary. And even from a supporter's perspective, your experience is going to be different than somebody else's experience. But I think there are similarities uh, in those experiences because there's going to be tips and tricks that you can utilize, alter, and adapt in accordance to the situation that you are in. And so one of the things I really wanted to touch base with you on is what were your initial thoughts when I first came to you and told you that I was struggling with anxiety, with insomnia, and obviously eventually when I had my first panic attack. I think when you first told me, that was, I would want to say like kind of like the very beginning and sort of peak of COVID where, you know, we were all locked down. And I thought, okay, well, in the back of my head, I'm like, maybe this is kind of like part of the COVID blues, right? Like we've been locked up for quite some time. We all need that social interaction. We're, we're human, right? We, we need that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can have these conversations through video calls and Zoom and, and, and all these wonderful technologies that we use today. But nothing really beats that physical contact, that physical interaction, being able to, to hug somebody, hold somebody. So when you first told me that, I'm thinking, okay, well, you know, when COVID blows over and this is all over, she's going to be okay again. She's going to be fine. But that one night when you texted me that you're at the hospital because of what happened, I thought, okay, she's not going through something as simple as, oh, it's just like, you know, she's been locked up for too long, like in, in quotes to say, for lack of better words. So I think that's where we start to have conversations where it's like, okay, how are you feeling? Why do you feel the way you feel? What are the sensations that you're going? And I think 
we try to tackle it initially, just like having these chats between the two of us and even with Keisha. But eventually it's like, yeah, maybe we do need to seek professional help in which, you know, we should involve a therapist at some point. And after that, I didn't think, okay, it's not that she needs to get over it. It's not because she needs to take medication. It's because it's a real thing and that I myself don't really know how to, I don't want to say fix it, but how I can help in some ways. So it's like, let me be the listener that you need. If you need to talk about something, let's talk about it. If you want to do something, let's do it. So my initial thoughts were, yeah, okay, she'll, when this is over, she'll, she'll be fine. But I think going through this journey, I realized that it's not a quick fix, nor is it something that we need to fix right away. It's not a bad thing. It's something that we will continue to experience and that we'll continue working on it together. Even till this very moment, we can still talk about your feelings and, and what you want to do and, and your thoughts and your sensations. And we can take it one step at a time. And I think I mentioned this to you before is that, and I think it's so important for anybody who's going through this is that you don't necessarily need to be the same person you were, you know, six, nine months ago or whenever it started, right? Like you can be any version of yourself. It still doesn't take away from the fact that you are who you are. Like at the end of the day, you are still Nancy. It doesn't make you a better person or or any, it doesn't make you, oh, suddenly you're like this or like that. It's about being a version of yourself that you're happy with, that you're comfortable with. So, and like I've said this many times, it's like, Nancy, I don't need you to be your old self. I need you to be a version of yourself that you're happy and that you're healthy and that you're comfortable. And if that takes another three months, six months, nine months, one year, two years, however long, let's do it, right? There's, there's no rush to, to be at a certain place at a certain time. Yeah, and I really appreciate that. And as I mentioned earlier, that's sort of why I confided in you a lot because you just listened and all I really wanted or needed was someone to listen and validate my feelings and thoughts. You also weren't judgmental. I think personally, I was very critical of myself. When I obviously started my journey, I didn't want to have people know that I was going through anxiety because again it's sort of that taboo situation and for you to be able to tell me hey Nancy like it's okay I'm, I'm here for you um, you know I, I'm not going to judge you in any way and I'm just going to be there to listen and and be supportive was was something that felt very reassuring and, and a sigh of relief for me because I I struggled really hard to wrap my head around the fact that I am now needing somebody to support me. And as we both know, you know, I've always been sort of on the other end of that spectrum where I am always supporting other people. And so for things to turn around now to have you and for other people to support me was very difficult for me to wrap my head around and, and sort of accept that situation. And I'm not going to lie, there's definitely still sort of that sense of guilt. We've talked about it multiple times and you've assured me multiple times that I should never feel guilty. But in the back of my mind, there's still a sense of guilt lingering uh, just because of the fact that, you know, here I am now sort of bringing on my mental health issues to you and having you be there for me whenever I needed it. And I felt, it felt so bad because I felt like I was taking over your life and, and consuming all your time. 
But in reality, I'm really not. And, and I know you've said it time and time again, I'm really not taking over your life. But it still sort of, again, sits in the back of my mind here and there that I do feel bad about the situation that you are now having to support me. And one of the things I really wanted to ask you was, did you ever at any point feel like you were mentally strained or or felt like I was a burden to you by any means? For myself personally, just from my experience, I would say you were not a burden. And of course, everybody's experience is slightly different. I can only speak for myself. But I think it's kind of to to your point earlier, what you said about your personality. You were always the one helping people, caring about people and giving. So when things have changed, now you're on the other end where it's like, okay, now I need help. And now that you're asking for help, it's kind of like, okay, well, am I, am I bothering them? Am I being a burden? Am I, you know, disrupting their daily life, whether that be, you know, whatever they do at work or outside of work? It's like, now you need to take time out of their daily lives. And I can confirm time and time again is that you were not, you are not, and will never be a burden. So don't ever feel that way. i much rather have you come to me for help and and say, okay, this is how I'm feeling or this is how I'm doing. I I need you to do this. I want you to do that. And if that means I can take time out of my daily schedule to help you with with whatever you're going through, yeah, let's do it. Why not? Right. Or if it's like, oh, Erica, can you do this on the stage? Like, yeah, let me rework what I need to do. Perhaps, you know, if I can take off a little bit early from work and do whatever it needs to do. So I think it's important that as a supporter to let them know that it's okay to let people know that, okay, yeah, I'm here for help. And that if you are not able to help right away, don't just brush them off and say, no, I'm not available, but tell them I'm not available now, but perhaps we can do this an hour later, or maybe we can do it tomorrow instead. Don't just brush them off because in that way, it'll just make them feel worse about it. It's like, oh yeah, I am really bothering them because you know they're too busy for me. So I think it's important to, for those of you who are going through a mental illness, is to ask for help. Don't see it as a sign of weakness or that you're bothering people or that, you know, it's it's an inconvenient for them. No, do it. It's knowing when to ask for help and recognizing that you need help is one of the strongest points. And then one of the strongest things you can do is that, okay, I know this is where I am. This is when I need help. And and ask for it. It's okay. Like, don't don't feel bad about it. It's It's so important to ask for help when you need it. Yeah, and it's always very reassuring to hear that from you. You know, you've said it so many times and it always strikes a chord that you are fine with me coming to you and and seeking help and support and that I should never feel guilty because I'm doing it. However, I know, you know, from speaking with Keisha, not everybody's experiences are the same. Sometimes uh, the person who's struggling with their mental health, they are, I guess, more needy and rely very heavily on their supporter. And I think, you know, when, when, again, when speaking to Keisha about her situation, she felt like there was a very heavy load on her shoulder because of the fact that the individual that she was supporting was relying a lot on her. And so again, everybody's situation is different, but from a supporter perspective, and you feel like the individual is strictly relying on you for help, I think it's best to seek professional assistance at that point, because at the end of the day, you 
you can be there to support your loved one, but the professional individual is going to be of a bigger help and and a greater assistance to that individual in need. Yeah, so I I think just to kind of continue on that point is that in no way am I a professional in any way. I I try to do what I can do to help. And I too have my limits in terms of knowing where, you know, I'm crossing the line in terms of offering help because I'm not a professional and I can only do so much in the role and the position that I'm in before I feel like, you know what, no, this needs a professional level assistance. I can't keep pretending I know what I'm doing in terms of like, oh yeah, Nancy, you know, do this or do that or or even telling you to go talk to this person or seeing that person because I'm not a professional. I, I can only offer so much help in terms of what I know and what I'm capable of. And and honestly, if I told you to do more or to to do certain things that are outside of like what I know, it would be really ir- irresponsible of me to do that is because I'm pushing you in a direction where I have no idea what I'm talking about. Right. You know, it's like, here, yeah, try that. It's as if I'm trying to get rid of you. Mm-hmm. And, and, and once again, it goes back to our previous point where it's like, you're making that person feel like it's a burden then. Mm-hmm. What are some advice that you can share with other supporters who are assisting their loved ones through a mental health crisis? I think there are a few things that the first once and the, the most important one, I think, is listen. And when I say listen, I don't mean just like, you know, as, like what you're listening to our podcast right now, but truly actively listen to what that individual has to say. Be engaged. You know, if you are talking to them through a video call, nod your head, say, how do you how do you feel about this? Ask questions that allow them to kind of further ex- like kind of. I want to say talk about their emotions a little bit more. But with that being said, although you are acknowledging what they're saying and and how they're feeling, don't provide unsolicited advice. If there's one thing that, you know, I've, I've kind of learned even through kind of wellness sessions that I have at work is that if they're not asking for advice, don't give it. You know, no one wants opinions and thoughts on their mental health when it's really, you know, what position are you in to give that? If they're if they're asking for it, it's different. But don't don't say like, oh well, Nancy, you know, have you tried just sleeping it off? Well, Nancy, have you tried ignoring that? Like those are things are not helpful. So don't give unsolicited advice. Another thing is don't impose your beliefs on them. You know, just because you feel a certain way that it it would help doesn't mean that that person is open to that. So it kind of goes hand in hand with unsolicited unsolicited advice. Is that you know don't impose your thoughts. Don't give advice that's not asked for because sometimes what they really need is a shoulder to lean on and and someone to listen to not to hear more about what they're doing or what they're not doing or why are they thinking things that way Um, and to really give them space Uh, sometimes you know we feel like the more we ask somebody it shows the more we care which is I think like a double-edged sword yes it does show that you care but at the same time texting you and calling you every hour probably doesn't really help because now I'm being I'm, I'm a constant reminder of your situation and sometimes you just kind of need to take a step back and realize okay well you know I'm feeling okay right now you don't need to be reminded that you know you're you're struggling every moment is what I'm trying to say and honestly if you feel like it's outside of your capability then seek help you know if it means for yourself too on how you can if the individual that you're supporting doesn't want to seek professional help perhaps it's something that you can consult with a professional and say okay this is what so-and-so is going through 
I want to help them. They don't want to seek the help. How can I help them get better? So it's, it's okay to ask for help as a supporter as well. It's totally fine. It's totally normal. And I think the important thing is to normalize these conversations. Uh, you know, don't make it so that people are afraid to ask questions or to say certain things. You know, we're all human. We all go through things in life and it's totally normal. Yeah, that's some great advice, Erica. Uh, Even for me going through my journey, I had to tell some people in my life to sort of, I guess, back off and let me be, especially with with my mom. She, She really worried a lot and her worry made me feel bad about my situation. So the more that she worried, the more I wanted to suppress my emotions. And and I think it's so important to give space to the individual who's struggling. And honestly, when we want to talk to somebody, we will reach out. But again, there are certain situations where you do want to reach out. Some people are in more severe situations where they are potentially suicidal or they need, you know, extra guidance and support. And for those individuals, I do encourage the supporters to reach out a little bit more often just to make sure that they're okay, but as well, give them enough space so that they can feel everything that they need to feel in their body. Any sort of last words that you want to provide our listeners today? I think... To those who are supporting those who are going through something like this, keep doing what you're doing. I don't think there's any like wrong route to take uh, when you're supporting somebody because I, I really do think that if it comes from a good place, it will help ultimately in the end. So keep doing what you're doing. Um, if you yourself need help on supporting that individual, ask for it. Totally cool. And for those of you who are going through a mental illness and it is a journey, there's no rush to be at a specific place by a certain time and it's totally cool to to feel what you're feeling and to continue to work towards a goal that you've set but going back there's no there's no deadline for that so keep working at it you got this and you will come out out of this as well that's a great way to end our episode today thank you so much Erica for coming on and talking about what it's like to be a supporter for a loved one who's going through a mental illness remember to be kind to yourself always be courageous and we will chat with you guys next time bye bye